Hi, this is Kristen Cabrera, reporter-producer from the Texas Standard. One of the coolest things about working on the show is getting to tell stories from my community, like this one I did on high school UAL Mariachi. But you know, this is Texas. You'd be hard-pressed to go a week without hearing. Dun-dun! Listen anytime to the Texas Standard, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, it's Elizabeth McQueen, the host of this song, and I want to let you know that soon we're going to be doing things differently around here. We're going to move this podcast to a season format rather than just weekly all year. It's almost fall festival madness time here in Austin, Texas, and we're going to stop producing new podcast episodes for a while. We're going to use our time to collect a bunch of great interviews and make new shows, and then Starting right around Thanksgiving, we're going to start releasing them until like mid-March, which is when our spring festival madness hits. We'll take another break until June or so, and then we'll have a summer season. Okay, so that is what's coming. Let's get down with what's happening today. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and then they talk about like the what's and the why's. What was it about that song? Why is it important? And for me, the what's and the why's are where it's at. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and obviously I love alliteration. And in this episode of This Song, we'll hear from Kevin Morby and Margaret Glasby. And we'll be entering the world of like, Okay, I don't exactly know what this world is called. Alternative folk? Indie folk? I mean, you know, like music that comes to the American folk tradition, but comes at it from like weird off-kilter angles. First off, Kevin Morby. He's a singer and a songwriter, and he approaches music in the way that I just described. Like the starting point for his music is American folk, but it's not really traditional. He veers from the standard course. We've been really enjoying his new record, Singing Saw, here at KUTX, the radio station where we make this podcast. And when he came to town, he stopped by to play Studio 1A. Studio 1A is like our performance space here at the station. We have over 300 acts a year, just so you know. After the session, Kevin Morby sat down with Art Levy and told him about a song that helped him see that folk music, one, was doable for him, and also could be punk rock. So here he is, Kevin Morby. Okay, so this song is uh, it's called Ginny, and it's by the Mountain Goats. Basically, it's off of an album called All Hail West Texas. You roared into the driveway of our southwestern ranch-style house On a new Kawasaki All yellow and black, fresh out of the showroom Our house faced west, so the big orange sun Positioned at your back 
the reason that's a big album for me is um, I discovered when I was like 15 and that was a, that was a really big year for me because I had discovered um, also Bob Dylan that year. I found it on a farmhouse looking for a place to stay. I was mighty, mighty tired. I'd come a long, long way. I said, hey, hey, in there, is there anybody home? I was standing on the steps, feeling most alone. When out comes a farmer, he must have thought that I was nuts. He immediately looked at me and stuck a gun into my guts. And, and Bob Dylan sort of changed everything for me, you know, and made me want to, to be a musician and, and to, to write songs and stuff. But, like, so I was, like, I was inspired by Bob Dylan but also discouraged you know but then when I heard the mountain goats I was like oh man there's or like here's this guy who you know is making songs that are also just him and a guitar and he just records them on a tape machine at home and you know I, I could do something like that like this record just came out and so um and, and the song from that album that I, I really loved so much was called Ginny and it was like there's all there's like a sense of like fiction of his songs, but also like perhaps they're like somewhat autobiographical, but I just loved how he sort of built this fantasy world. Mm -hmm. Um, and that too, like coming from listening to like Bob Dylan or more folk music where those were stories as well, but those seemed very literal, you know, like they're political or they're just like very like concrete love songs or something. But with this, I was like, Oh, this guy kind of, came up with a different way to express how he feels. He came up with these characters. It's almost like reading a book. Lit up your magnificent silhouette. How much better, how much better could my life get? 900 cubic centimeters of raw whining power. No outstanding warrants for my arrest. Whoa, 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 whoa. The pirate's life for me. And I also liked that, that it was called All Hail West Texas. And I was like, oh, he must be from around there. But then... He has no relation to the place. And I was like, oh, it's cool. Just, I don't know, his style of storytelling and and just sort of giving himself no boundaries. It seemed really, really cool and inspiring to me. And then, yeah, it definitely led me to, to buying tape machines and making bad mountain goats rip out music for years. <laughs> the best ever death metal band out of Denton with a couple of guys who'd been friends since grade school. One was named Cyrus. The other was Jeff, and they practiced twice a week in Jeff's bedroom. The best ever death metal band. Like, I mean, it was—it seemed crazy to me that I was listening to a, an album that someone had made on a, on a tape machine. You know, it just seemed like that shouldn't be like legal or something almost you know <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds like crap yeah it's, it's like humming yeah, you can't even hear yeah. half of it half the time but there's something i don't know something to be said about that that kind of quality yeah for sure there's something about that warmth that the the hiss and the tape the tape warmth the way it hits the tape that um does kind of make it sound like something of the past because mm-hmm. um, you know if you listen to like a woody guthrie recording or something or like a lead belly recording that's going to be hissy and you can barely you know make that out but um yeah i i definitely have some memories of listening to it and my dad being like what is this because also his voice is very abrasive oh yeah and especially given like the high frequency like tape machine so um yeah i think you know I, I definitely played for some people who thought it was psycho music. <laughs> the best ever death metal band out of Denton will in time both outpace and outlive you. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Tonight, hail Satan. 
Well, it's interesting you uh, mentioned Woody Guthrie and kind of hissing. It is interesting how, yeah, kind of the folk music, folk music, a lot of it gets kind of hung up on authenticity mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And then here's this artist kind of doing kind of a punk rock thing. You right. Know, just recording it. But it is kind of harkening back to right. these old guys in the same way. Which I guess, yeah, just going to the sort of sentiment that um, folk music can be, you know, all you need is like a voice and a guitar and and then that's it. And you can just document it and whatever, like the simplest of terms. But And I think that was very appealing too because at the time of my life, I was, I was big into punk music and he was like a combination of both. And like the same thing with Bob Dylan. I was like, you know, like, oh, this is kind of like folk old people music, but the ideas are very like punk. And then, yeah, with Mountain Goats, I was like, it's a very punk aesthetic and it's a very like do it yourself. And I remember reading at the time, like he had a policy... I'm sure this policy has had to have changed, but that he would go play for anyone if they covered travel. Oh like, my gosh. cover travel and I'll come play the weirdest corner of the earth. That is like straight up Woody Guthrie. Yeah, totally. Wandering. Totally. Huh. But yeah, I doubt he's, he's still got that same policy. <laughs> I hopped on back of the bike, wrapped my arms around you. I sank my face into your hair And then I inhaled as deeply as I possibly could You were sweet and delicious As the warm desert air and we should mention his name is John Darnell. Is that Darnell? Yes. I have a funny thing. I met him when I was like 16 at a show. I showed up super early to watch their sound check, and he he came out and I, I asked if he was John Darnell, and he he corrected me. He said Darnell. Darnell. Um, and then he gave me a bubble, piece of bubble gum with a with a Bible verse on it, and then literally 10 years later, when I was 26, which was two years ago, um. I opened up for him. I got flown to Chicago to open up two two sold out nights at like the folk at the folk theater there in Chicago, and um, and he it was really funny because he 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 was like I've met you before. Where have I met you? And he he was like I couldn't re- I couldn't forget a handsome face like that. And I was like you met me ten years ago, and I was like a, a the biggest fan. Oh my! And he's God. like he's like that's right. And it was really cool. That's incredible. I know. It, it, it kind of blew my mind. But he seemed unfazed by it. He probably sees that all the time. I don't yeah. know. So how do you think that, if if in any way, influenced your own music, you know, still to this day? Um. I, well, yeah, I think that it definitely did. Just in a, it kind of set my foundation at, like, just give yourself really no rules or something. Like, I know in that song he sings about, like, a Kawasaki, like a motorcycle. He, like, describes this woman on a Kawasaki. And I even remember that being, like, the motorcycle? Like, is he singing about the motorcycle? Like, I think in my mind it was, like, everything has to be, like, traditional and everything. Which I I, I love writing songs that way as well. But, like, um, and there are some modern things that I wouldn't want to to bring in. Like, for example, I never really want to sing about a cell phone or something. Mm -hmm. But singing about a Kawasaki, I I don't know, something like that. It's just cool. He's just he just knows how to to bend stuff to be sort of memorable and yeah. He has really kind of mundane details that then are like incredible details. Yeah, totally. It's just kind of making the everyday life into something bigger, I guess. Yeah. 
No, I would actually, I would love, I've always looked up to him. I've really fallen off with listening to his albums. Um, and some of the old stuff that I listen to, it doesn't quite hold up for me. I mean, I, and may, that could very easily also just be, it's too nostalgic for me or it makes me feel like I'm 14 again or something. But, um, but in terms of like a career, I've always really admired him and I always really looked up to him because he just seems to have like a steady fan base that just sort of naturally grows. And the people who are, interested in him are very devoted they're not you know like they they're, they're not really going anywhere right it's yeah. not off of like a hype machine or anything they just they love him uh-huh. yeah i would i would love i would love that for myself um in the years to come pleading skies cry for dropping peace collecting Kevin Morby's new record, Singing Saw. And, you know, I'd heard the Mountain Goats before, and, you know, I kind of thought, like Art said, those records, they sound rough. But I'd never drawn a connection between the sound of the Mountain Goats and the sounds of early folk records. Like, I had this aha moment when I listened to that interview, and suddenly something that I had seen as a negative, like the crazy bad recording quality, struck me as incredibly brilliant and inspired which was cool because it reminded me that like you know perspective is everything if you enjoy the rush that comes from seeing music from someone else's perspective then please take a moment head to itunes and leave a rating or a review ratings and reviews actually help this podcast in lots of ways like pragmatically they help people find us in itunes which is really the point. We want to spread these stories about music and inspiration and creativity to as many people as possible. And then morale-wise, ratings and reviews help us because they let the team of people who work on this podcast know that people are actually listening to the work we make and digging it. And like, it really is the best feeling. Okay, now let's get on to Margaret Glasby. Her latest record, Emotions and Math, is this really great collection of, like, fun and literate without being pretentious pop and rock and ballad songs. I mean, the child of the 90s in me who listened to Liz Fair's Exile and Guyville on repeat really digs her music. We're all fans of her here at KTX, and she also came to Studio 1A when she passed through Austin. And afterwards, she sat down with Jackie Fuller to talk about a couple of songs that one might term folk, indie folk, alternative folk. So here she is, Margaret Glasby. I've been thinking about it. I was on the, um, I played in Dallas last night in, in, in Austin now, obviously, and I 
I was trying to think about on the trip, what was, what's one song that I can talk about? There's been so many songs that have blown my world apart. Um, we can talk about a few too. Okay, cool. <laughs> the one that I kind of immediately thought of um, is a Vic Chestnut song um, called Florida. If a man must make unpopular decisions, surely from time to time, and a man can only stand what a man can stand. It's a wobbly, volatile um, And I suppose the reason why it blew my world apart was because he, and I've heard it in other songs that he's um, written to, and I think this is kind of what he's known for, is his sense of sarcasm and... Mm-hmm obviously depth and uh, kind of darkness sure. and a dark humor in a certain way um, that isn't really afraid to make fun of things or be a little rude in his songwriting or kind of scare you a little bit or make you laugh all at the same time. Um, and I feel like uh, I, I really appreciate that kind of humor and also just, um, I suppose, his songs can kind of feel like art in the sense that they kind of make you think about the certain things um, and just make you laugh out loud. That that song, um, and before I talk about it, I think Florida is wonderful. <laughs> so, <laughs> no offense to Florida at all. But the song, essentially, um, I mean, the first verse, Florida, Florida, the redneck Riviera, Florida, Florida. There's no more pathetic place in America. <laughs> and it goes on and on. Florida, Florida, talks about how wonderful it is while being the worst place you could possibly be um that to me is just it's like uh, I, I used to cover that song for a little while and everybody just laughs so hard because it's slightly unexpected and just kind of risky it, it kind of it makes people mad sometimes too if there's people from florida in the audience um but at the same time i just i think i like it because of that it kind of pushes people's buttons a little bit <laughs> Florida, Florida, it's a tropical No 
perfect place to retire from life. So you had a hard time picking a single song to talk about for this episode of the podcast. Are there a couple more that you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, Elliot Smith is is huge in my world. Uh, he's been a really, really big influence on me, and I, I feel like... I don't listen to the records routinely anymore um, because I listen to them so much at one point that I just kind of know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all of it. But there are certain songs. Um, one of them, um, Roman Candle, I think, is really amazing. He played himself Didn't need me to hell. Yeah, that song really... Uh, when I, when I first heard that. Remember where you were, how you first came about finding out about Yeah, Elliot Smith? I was in my Roman Candle. I was in my, my apartment in, um, on, in Manhattan on the Upper West Side, and I was working on... I had made the record that I'm just about to release two times before I recorded it for the third time. Wow. Um, only because I, I was home record. I was using all this home recording. I, I recorded it first on essentially like an iPad, and then those were all the demos. And then I recorded it again. Um, my boyfriend and I got gear, like real gear, and I learned about, you know, how to use it and started to um, make the record out of my house. And when I did that, I... I was full into Elliot Smith's whole catalog and all his records, and I hadn't really touched Roman Candle yet, so I, I cracked that one open. Um, and I had kind of covered all my windows with um, blankets and things to dampen everything out. Mm-hmm. So it's super dark in there in my little cave, and then started listening to that. And it was interesting because, I mean, I feel like Elliot Smith's music is notoriously dark and slightly um, in the direction of, I mean, a lot of people say that it's slightly depressing, I suppose. Um, I don't feel that way. I feel like it's it's music and it's uplifting in its own way. But um, it was kind of perfect that I was in this dark cave listening to Elliot Smith working away on my record. Like it was very, one of these moments that made me look like a total... Um, starving artist or something like that kind of struggling into whatever I would become to get really nerdy and kind of pick it apart and with my songwriter brain it's kind of the most beautiful metaphor I, I would say is in the chorus um, and she's always kind of I always it taught me a lot just hearing it the first time where I thought oh okay I get it like I know what I'm supposed to do now with my own writing um, and not even really having to say much about it but just knowing like oh right <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to do um, that chorus I wanna hurt him I wanna give him pain I'm a Roman candle my head is full of flames that was like kind of that did it for me. I wanna hurt him. I wanna give him pain. I'm a Roman candle. My head 
And what is that thing that 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 song accomplishes? Like, if you could just sort of boil it down, right? What it accomplishes, and I mean, if you, it's going to be nerdy, and I don't like admitting sometimes that I think about songs this way, but I do. Is like you say something plain spoken, and Uh then you say it metaphorically right afterward, Uh Um, and it puts everything in kind of perspective and in time and place in a certain way that I think is really cool, and I've always kind of strive to do with writing whether it's like prose or poetry or whatever um is to say something and not or I think sometimes when writing becomes like an art project where you're trying to make it so that you're trying to say something but not really tell anybody anything it kind of I kind of get bothered I just I, I'm get exhausted quickly I'm tired of it and I just mm-hmm. want to leave or not listen to it anymore and in that it gives you both where he always tells you exactly where he's coming from mm-hmm. um and then he'll just kind of give you, it's almost, for me at least, this is totally personal, obviously. It says so much about how I think about it. He'll give you these reference points afterward um, that are either visual or often they're visual to me at least that kind of um, almost give you a rest from how intense the last sentence was in huh. a certain way. Um, at least that's how I feel about it. I want to hurt him. I want to give him pain. Is so blunt and... Sure and kind of scary in a certain way. And then the next one is my ro- I'm a Roman candle. My head is full of flames. And that kind of gives you another perspective of, you know, it's a little more figurative in a way where you say, okay, I'm just going to take that in for a second. Uh, I think he's just really wonderful at that. And it's all over his writing. He did it in every song he ever wrote. I want to hurt him. I want to give him pain. I'm a I've never heard anybody describe Elliot Smith's music as uplifting. So that's <laughs> really interesting, but it does have like a. I think it's his almost art form is really uplifting. He's so thorough to me as an artist for sure. Yeah, and I, I'm going to definitely be listening to his songs differently after hearing you nerd out, as you say. <laughs> yeah. Although I love that you're thinking about the song structure and the lyrical structure in that way. His songs have such a. Uh, there's this. Uh, you know, he sings so soft-spoken and there's this sort of softness to them, but there's this boiling rage underneath yeah. that is almost exciting. Yeah, yeah, And it makes totally. you feel alive. Yeah, and definitely. I feel that too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Margaret. This yeah. Was great. Totally. Thanks so much for having me. I We're appreciate it. looking forward to uh, the debut album and that comes out when? That's on June 17th on ATA Records. Awesome. Yeah. Totally excited. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, and I got you by my side. Everything's alright It's just when you're gone I start to snooze the alarm Cause I stay up until four in the morning Counting all the days till you're back Shivering in an ice cold bath Of emotions and mad Emotions and Math from Margaret Glaspie's record of the same title. She actually did a version of this in Studio 1A with just her and a guitar, and it's like, it's so good. You should totally see it. Uh, I'll post that video to the page. Anyway, Margaret, please do not be ashamed about nerding out about song structure and metaphor. Like, that's the best stuff. 
I'd never actually heard anyone deconstruct Elliot Smith's use of metaphor. Like, I can't get past his melodies. I know his lyrics contain, like, rage and sadness, which apparently is uplifting to Margaret, but I can never really hear the lyrics because his melodies are so pretty. So it was actually really great for me to hear someone who not only hears the lyrics, but thinks deeply about Smith's rhetorical technique and then states her theories on that. I mean, thank you, Margaret. More of that. Also, Jackie talked to Jonathan Myberg from Shearwater, and he also referenced Vic Chestnut. So I don't know, maybe Jackie has some kind of like vibe that brings out the Vic Chestnut love. Uh, That's a really good interview, by the way. You should totally listen to it. Okay, so I will post the Viewhouse video of Margaret Glasby doing emotions and math on the page for this episode. And I'll also post a video from Kevin Morby's Studio 1A session. And I'll put the audio from both those sessions there so you can hear more of these artists. And there will also be a Spotify playlist for this episode on the page. That way you can hear all the songs all the way through. That's it. You have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Art Levy. And you heard Art Levy in that interview, and he is actually on the air on KUTX every Sunday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account and does an awesome job. You should check it out. Our handle is at this song KTX. Kelly Seal is our new intern. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for all they do on this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. I actually have to think before I say it every time not to call it Mahout. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song KTX. You can like us on Facebook and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.